Well, uh, we have been uh, talking over the past um, uh, seven weeks about varieties of virtues, values, uh, character traits, and so on that really help us when we try to concretize what it means to be transformed, to deepen our relationship with God, and, and, and all of that. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, we've been talking about, we've been encouraging everyone to be intentionally reading the scriptures, to be uh, praying specifically for one another. The, the prayer that we read in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 18 and 19, that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened to know the hope of uh, our calling, uh, the inheritance in the Holy Ones, and the power of God. Uh, and, uh, and then also engaging in acts of uh, chesed, acts of uh, loving kindness. These are great ways of intentionally walking uh, on this journey uh, during these weeks. These are the things that, that, bring, uh, that bring transformation. And so I hope that we have been engaging in, in them. One of the things that I encouraged uh, or suggested is, uh, was to read the book of Jeremiah. Uh, and uh, certainly, uh, when you read uh, Jeremiah, certainly in the 20, 20th chapter and the 23rd chapter and elsewhere, where he is lamenting, lamenting and weeping over the state of affairs, one thing that uh, uh, I, I think that is very noticeable is here we're on this journey of 50 days, right? We're on this journey and we're focused on spiritual transformation and we're focused on deepening our relationship with God. And, uh, and of course, usually when we're thinking of those terms, we're thinking about my relationship with God and so that I will feel more satisfied. And I will be more content. And I will feel good, you, you know? And, and I will be doing this, and I will be doing that. Well, it's kind of interesting. It's sort of like, it reminds me of the, uh, what is that? Um, I, I, can't, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to butcher this, but uh, you'll get the point anyway. You know, there is, uh, what is the phrase about playing the, uh, playing the violin while Rome is burning? Right? I can't remember how that goes. Okay. And, uh, and you know, when, when I, uh, I just thought to myself during this period of time, here we are engaged in this, and it's a, it's a rich uh, walk with God, you know, and all that. But the world around us is so totally broken. The things that we are seeing, I mean... Not just like far away, but you know, there's the Ukraine, but there's all the horrific things happening in our backyard uh, that you know it just makes you think about that the the light and the extreme darkness and the severity uh, of horrible things that are going on that uh, uh, you know. When we read Jeremiah and when we're experiencing spiritual transformation, it actually 
isn't going to make us feel good. It's going to make us weep and be sad and, and lament. Uh, you, you know, when you think about uh, Jeremiah weeping, crying out. I, I Also in the book of Lamentations, you, you clearly read it all as well. But other places in the Psalms and lots of the wisdom material begin with, how long, O oh Lord, are you going to let this go on? You know, we tend to want to theologize. I have to always say that really slow because I can't say it fast. Theologize everything. Well, in other words, sort of like uh, seeing terrible things happen and saying, well, obviously it's darkness. That's how it is. You know, you don't see that in the prophets. You know, uh, you don't see that in Hosea, uh, like our, in our Haftorah portion. But there is real weeping and lamenting and great sadness over the uh, state of humanity, not simply the spiritual state of humanity, but how the hurt, the, you know, the, 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 just the horrible situation that people find themselves in, you know? And, and so hopefully, uh, as uh, we uh, continue to, uh, you know, to, to draw closer to the Lord, this contrast, this gulf becomes greater and greater uh, and causes us to desire to intercede, you know, uh, and, and causes us to have a desire to live a certain way that, uh, that doesn't add fuel to the fire, but that, that serves in, in a way as an alternative to the whole thing, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so I thought that uh, today we would talk about one of the most, the most basic character trait, the most basic virtue, the most basic value of all, uh, that really is the centerpiece of everything, and that is the virtue of love. The virtue of love. It's such an overused term that, you know, it, it, it's, it seems watered down just by saying it, you know, because we use the word love for, for everything. You know, I like, uh, you know, I love pizza, you, you know, uh, and we use it uh, much as a preference uh, more than anything else. I have a preference for something or I have an emotional attachment to uh, some um, something sentimental, uh, you know, and uh, and so, you know, we use uh, this word. Uh, all the time. But, you know, in the Bible, the word does have kind of a specific meaning, application. It's not so much in the etymology of, of the word, but as the way the word is used uh, in, in the Bible. You know, both in Hebrew, uh, uh, you know, and in, uh, in, and in Greek. Uh, it is in the Bible that the word takes on, you might say, a life of its own, okay? Uh, you know, in the New Covenant, you have a very famous uh, statement, right? Uh, Paul says, you know, that uh, faith, hope, and love uh, endure, epitomizes life and Messiah, but the greatest, but the greatest of these is, is love. And you have 
uh, passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, that is uttered at many a wedding. Uh, you know, all of the different uh, uh, aspects uh, of, uh, of, of love. Uh, and if we have time, maybe we'll, we'll read that this morning. But my point is just simply that, that it is uh, uh, profound. It's a cornerstone. Uh, and uh, it's something that we should not take for granted or assume or, or anything like that, but recognize uh, how profound how profound uh, it, it is. Uh, you know, we read in uh, Ephesians, when Paul is praying for the Ephesians, uh, in his second prayer for them, in the third chapter, he prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love. In Colossians, he says that love is the perfect bond of unity, Right? I, uh, John says that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. I, uh, he also says, uh, you know, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. This, this commandment uh, we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Peter says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude uh, of, of sins. Well, you know, if you look it up in a lexicon, uh, uh, basically you get the quality of uh, warm regard for interest in another, esteem, affection, uh, and then love, okay, for agape, agape. But it's how it's used in, in the Bible that, that makes all of the, all of the difference in the Brit Hadashah. Of course, you know, in John chapter 13, uh, Yeshua says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, clearly, this is not a new command. The concept is not new. It's the authority of Yeshua. And perhaps when he says, even as I have loved you, I want you to do this. And, uh, and that he is, by saying a new commandment I give you, he is putting it at the top of the list of that this is, this is not an option. This is not a, hey, it would be great if we loved one another. It would be like the cherry on top if we loved one another. You know? Judge everybody, but hey, if you love on the side, that would be a good thing. You know? No, he's saying that this is uh, absolutely, absolutely paramount. Now, clearly in the Tanakh, we read about this. Uh, right? You, you know, because we, we talk about it all the time. Uh, uh, for example... In uh, Leviticus, where we've uh, been camped out for a while, uh, certainly in our in our uh, Torah study, Torah studies, you know, in uh, chapter 19, it's very interesting. Uh, the beginning of the chapter of Leviticus 19 says, "Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy." Right. So you know what's interesting is that in the um, in, in rabbinic literature whether we're talking about the Talmud or the layers of rabbinical 
works that, that have been written, there's this question that's, a, that's asked. How, do you, how could you be holy like God? You, you know? Uh, and so what's interesting is they don't point directly to this. They don't give some kind of eg- exegesis of this passage. But they do something that, that we often talk about ourselves in the Brit Chadashah. And so in one particular spot, you have all of these illustrations from the Torah of how God loved people. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and how, a- and examples of, uh, in the life of Abraham or in the life of David of, of loving. He says, do this. Uh, and so you end up with show hospitality, mourn with people that mourn, uh, be kind to the poor and the stranger. Uh, all the different things that we might use as examples, some of them right from the Beatitudes. Rather interesting that you read about it in the rabbinic literature. Something you want to always remember about rabbinic literature, though, it's written down after, well, actually sometimes long after, the New Covenant was written. Okay, so when I say rabbinic literature, I'm not talking about like Abraham and the rabbis, okay, or David and the rabbis. Sounds like a early 1960s, uh, anyway, never mind. But, uh, I, you know, uh, the rabbinic literature comes after, and so an always a really interesting discussion about all of that is, what came first? Was there some kind of influence from, you know, uh, Yeshua uh, upon uh, certain aspects of uh, the literature of the rabbis? Uh, or, or was it oral, of course, oral before Yeshua, and Yeshua is echoing what the proto or early rabbis were saying, and then it was written down later. We don't know. But that's not really that relevant. What, what's really relevant is, is that the heart of the, of, uh, the Jewish world is, was and is, about demonstrating chesed and rachamim, uh, a loving kindness, a loyal, steadfast love, and mercy. It is at the heart of a, a Jewish halacha, the walk of uh, Jewish people. And it is echoed, uh, it is clearly written in the New Covenant, because the new covenant is framed inside of that world. You, you see, what we have now is, as we'll see, we have the, uh, the, the ruach now. We uh, have the power to really live uh, that out, right? So in Leviticus chapter 19, you have all these examples of revering God by showing kindness to vulnerable people. That one sentence that, that one sentence summarizes what leads up to verse 18. Uh, uh, you know, revering God by, by showing kindness to vulnerable people. And it culminates uh, in, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor uh, as yourself. It doesn't mean to uh, that you hate yourself. You know, it's like an exchange or something. But that you love the person next 
next to you. You care for the person next to you as you would care about your, your, own, your own being, you, you know, uh, as if you were them and, and how important that is. Now, very interesting is that if you go down to verse 34, uh, in the same chapter, you read here, uh, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Isn't that interesting? Uh, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan is not the first time you read that concept. It's right here in the same chapter uh, as you read, love your neighbor as yourself. But Yeshua tells a great story about the most unlikely person showing that kind of unconditional uh, love. Uh, and of course, then there is um, Ahavat Chesed, right? Ahavat Chesed. That is in Micah. Uh, Micah chapter uh, 6. Right? Uh, Ahavat Chesed in verse 8. And he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Love kindness is not loving kindness. It's love loving kindness. Literally, you know, if you're going to use loving kindness for Chesed, love loving, Ahavat Chesed. It's two words. Accentuating, accentuating it. So in the 19th century, there was a famous rabbi who went by the name Chofetz Chaim. And he wrote a book called Ahavat Chesed. Uh, and of course, based on this verse and all the different ways of showing love to other people. In this same literature that spans 1500 years, uh, you also have a differentiation between tzedakah uh, and uh, chesed. Uh, now, uh, when you, in, in terms of the words themselves, tzedakah comes from tzaddik, right? Righteous. Do the right thing. Do the right thing, period. Do the right thing. Chesed is understood as going beyond the right thing, going way beyond, beyond uh, what might be the expectation. Now, in, in the Jewish world as we know it today, tzedakah is basically giving money. Tzedakah, that's why the tzedakah box. Hence, the tzedakah box. Right? Uh, uh, where, whereas uh, doing chesed uh, is uh, kindness. That's, and by the way, it's where the word chasid comes from. Chasidim uh, comes from being rooted in uh, acts of uh, acts of uh, a kindness. So it is certainly central to the Jewish world, and should come as no surprise that it is valued so highly all over the uh, the New Covenant. Uh, and and so it's really rather uh, you know rather rather interesting. So. Um, you know, I, uh, in preparing for this, I, I checked out uh, some, different, uh, some different works. And I want to read a, a couple of little quotes here, okay? 
I, uh, from a, oh, I don't know if I have the, uh, we'll have to live without the source. That's okay. Oh, no, here it is. Uh, Richard Longnecker, some of you might know who he is. He's a, he's a writer, and, and so he wrote a, uh, a commentary on, on Romans, uh, a commentary on the Greek text of, of uh, Romans. Uh, and he says a few things in relationship to uh, Romans chapter 5, right? In Romans 5, uh, we have a very interesting uh, uh, text there in Romans 5, 5, right? Actually, we have to, of course, begin a few verses ahead of time, right? So in the book of Romans in chapter 5, uh, and not only, beginning in verse 3, and not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Ruach HaKodesh, through the Holy Spirit who is given, given to us. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts. We can experience the presence of, you know, the, the presence of the Ruach is tantamount to saying the love of God. And then what does he say? He explains it. For a while we were helpless at the right time. Messiah died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. Meaning totally not deserving of it. Totally, like, like he went beyond the right thing. The righteous thing would have been the judges. The Hasid thing to do, remember once I gave a message on this, Yeshua, the Hasid, Hasid, like Hasidim, anyway. Uh, that uh, Yeshua uh, went beyond. He forgave us by his own act, not because we came into the sanctuary and brought the right offering, not because we did something, but he took the initiative. He provided uh, for us, right? And then in verse uh, 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his light, his life. The point being is, you know, uh, while we were helpless, uh, uh, while uh, we were enemies, while sinners, this is what God did. He initiated this great benevolence, uh, you know, uh, toward us. And so in verse 5, when he says the love of God has been poured out uh, within us. Yes, the love of God does indeed dwell in us. Uh, and we indeed have experienced the love of God. But what I wanted to read is what uh, Longnecker had to say. Just a few little things here. He says, uh, the noun agape is not found in any extant non-biblical Greek writings. Classical and Koine Greek writings employ three other words for love. Aphilia, right, which is a general word for love that appears in many contexts. 
Eros, which has to do principally with sexual love, and uh, stor uh, Storge, Storge. I, I'm, I'm reading that in Greek, by the way, okay? Uh, which usually has to do with love among members of a family. The word agape occurs about 20 times in the Septuagint, although usually without any special meaning. The noun agape, however, appears about 120 times in the New Covenant scriptures. That is a very unusual thing, in other words with 75 of them being in Paul's letters, okay? Okay. Then he writes this, The rationale given in 5.5 for such a certainty, in other words, hope does not disappoint, the certainty having to do with the love of God being poured uh, in our hearts, right? So that's the context here. He says, The rationale given in Romans 5.5 for such certainty is expressed by Paul in the following words. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This is the first reference in Romans to God's love being an agape type of love, which reference is repeated in 5.8. We just read that. Okay? That is that God's love is an outgoing and self-giving type of love whose expression always includes the welfare of his people and his whole creation. Okay? It's not like pizza. You know what I'm saying? Okay? All right. Such an understanding of love on the part of God the Father and of Yeshua the, His Son, as well as on the part of believers in Yeshua between themselves for one another, is a distinctive feature throughout the New Covenant writings, but is particularly to the fore in Paul's letters. This emphasis on God's agape type of love reaches its peak in this section of 5, 1 to 839, Romans 5, 1 to 839. And it's very interesting how that whole section ends, right? Uh, so this is what he says. He says, the emphasis on God's agape type of love reaches its peak in this section of 5, 1 to 839 in the apostles' rather defiant statement of confidence. Don't you love that? That's why some people write and others don't. Right? Okay, this, def this rather defiant statement of confidence uh, in 838 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the, the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. The importance of such agape type of love by believers in Yeshua comes to its most explicit expression in the Apostles' exposition on the nature of, I'm going to call it, the Messianic love ethic. Okay? Uh, and of course, uh, it's in the 12th chapter. He's referring to what's in the 12th chapter of Romans. In the 12th chapter of Romans which you cannot actually uh, separate from the 11th chapter of Romans, but that's a bigger topic. Okay, but, but I will say this. And we talked about this last Tuesday night in our, in our Ephesians Chavuragru, uh, because we noticed something kind of interesting. That at the end of uh, Romans 11, the very end of Romans 11, 
you read the last verse. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Okay? Because of that, because of the greatness of God, because of the grandeur of the majesty of the glory of God, I beg you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Right? And then, of course, you have to say verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? Now, he's going to now begin to talk about the way, what that means on the ground, practically speaking. Okay? And so, what does he say? He says, I'm going to jump down to verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Another one, in other words, what he's saying, don't just talk about it and don't just, you know, sing songs about it and don't just memorize scripture about it. Don't just attend special services about it, but do it. Be engaged in it intentionally. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. And then he says, in brotherly love. Philia, right? Uh, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Any which kind of love. Well, not any which kind of love. But you know what I mean. Okay? Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. In diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Uh, so notice how he says that, by the way. It all builds on each other, you know? Uh, let love be, love would be without hypocrisy. Abhor what, abhor what is evil. Perhaps love, hypocritical love, is evil. Abhor what is evil. Do it the right way. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. In brotherly love. Earlier he says, we are all members of one another. Right? I give preference to one another in honor. And then when he says, not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, intentionally. It's not just, you know, I might try that out. Uh, you know, I... It's always, it's sort of like when you watch the evening news from 6.30 to 7, you get from 6.57 to 6.59 is that human interest story, right? And that's kind of like the way we often live our lives, right? That I'm going to study and I'm going to learn and I'm going to tell everybody what I don't like, uh, you, you know, and, and, and all that. I'm going to make sure that I, I read this and I do this and I attend this and this. But, I'll, you know, a little bit of me is going to love somebody. You know, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. So he says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit. And then serving the Lord. I love that part. Serving the Lord. That goes right back to Leviticus chapter 19. Don't put a stumbling block before the blind person, but revere God. 
right? You know, if, if I was writing it, I would have said, don't put a stumbling block before the blind person, but help the blind person cross the road. But that's not what it says. It says, revere God. That's how we do holy. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he means here. Love without uh, hypocrisy. I won't go into why it's related to Ephesians uh, in a particular place, but that's another story for another day. But just this fact here that this is, by understanding the greatness of God, uh, the, the glory of God, the holiness of God, uh, which is tantamount to saying the great love of God, that, that we then should lay our lives to God and say, do with me what you will, and what that is, is all of these ways of, of description of ways of loving one another, and not only ourselves, but the people, uh, but the people out there. Yeshua defined what it means. Paul explains it here uh, in Romans 5, as we read, which is a little bit of like a commentary on what you read in the most famous, um, I dare I even read it, because it is the most famous verse in the New Covenant that is memorized probably by more people than anything else. Right? You know where I'm going here, right? I won't even have to tell you the citation. As soon as I start saying it, you're going to know where it is. Maybe you memorized from the time you were three. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal, uh, but have eternal life. This is the way God loved the world. God demonstrated love by sending Yeshua into this world. Now, we need to understand that beyond just the verse. Okay? All right. So, of course, there's a, there's a famous passage that, uh, another famous passage that we enjoy that I want to talk about for just a second, and that is in Philippians chapter 2. What's interesting is how Paul takes, in a sense, uh, John 3.16, and he elaborates on it in different places. Like that passage in Romans 5, is how God loved the world, you, you know? Uh, and now here in Philippians chapter 2, he says this, If therefore there is any encouragement in Messiah, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, of course he's saying that rhetorically because there is. He's saying there is. Okay? Make my joy complete of being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do you see the unity of love? A lot of times when Paul has these themes that get repeated in different ways with different words in his letters. Love, the perfect bond of uh, unity, being rooted and grounded in love. It is like the centerpiece, all right? That is why there is no enmity. It is totally inconsistent to have enmity, to have hatred as a Messiah follower and call yourself a Messiah follower. It is totally inconsistent. It is just like, shall we continue in sin that grace, that grace might increase? May it never be. And so, so important. So what does he say here? 
Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Not, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, Paul knew we needed it. We needed an example. We need an example. What does that mean? And he uses Yeshua as the example, the love of God in Messiah Yeshua. That is the example, right? He says, "Have this attitude in yourselves," which was also in Messiah Yeshua. Interesting, you know. He says, "Have this attitude. Think this way. You know, think this way." Be this way. Be this way. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a tree, death on the cross. Let's stop here for a minute. So, um, uh, I was reading a, a book recently that depicts uh, us as Messiah followers as exiles, living in exile. In fact, the name of the book is called Exile, Exiles, uh, by uh, Michael Frost. Uh, and and uh, he, he sort of is one of those writers uh, who talks about the you know, radical love, radical ways of uh, demonstrating uh, life and Messiah uh, to, to this world, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and so uh, he uses this idea of exile when he talks about Yeshua coming into this world. That was really very interesting, right? That uh, Yeshua, uh, we could say, came into a self-imposed exile. He left where he was to go to a very uncomfortable place in order to love the people in the uncomfortable place, right? Uh, for our behalf, we could say. And then we read here that he emptied himself, emptied himself. Okay, so I'm going to suggest that the, the import of that word is not this theologizing idea that, well, he left his... Uh, his uh, God attributes behind, or something like that. Sometimes we read that, that, that he emptied himself in that way. No, that's not what it means, <laughs> okay? Basically, it means he poured himself out. He gave himself all the way as far as a person can give themselves, which means death. It, but it doesn't only mean death. It means everything in between. Everything he did and everything he experienced in this life was this emptying, this emptying of, uh, of himself. He entered the world. He did not embrace it, so to speak. He became an exile, right? He emptied himself in the sense of giving his, himself and his life and his death. He socialized with outsiders. He was humiliated. He was misunderstood. He suffered and he died. And it was all very unfair and mostly illegal for a greater good than his own welfare. Right? And I will say this, that on the surface, 
If you were living in that day and you happened to be in Jerusalem and saw from a distance Yeshua living, dying, and being raised from the dead, and you looked around you, you did not see a change in the world around you. It was still the Romans. There was still the hypocrisy of the leadership and, and, and all of that. But in the heavenlies, the most important difference had been made. And so in the very same way, we are called to pour ourselves out, to empty ourselves out, and we may not see, oh, wow, the overthrow of evil regimes because I showed kindness to somebody. But know that it's making a difference to the one to whom we are accountable to. Now, of course, uh, I'm not going to read the whole passage because most of us are familiar with it. But, you know, in Isaiah 53, when you read about Yeshua was misunderstood and, you know, and, um, uh, and, and totally um, humiliated in, in the eyes of the people, you know, at the very end of that passage, the very end of Isaiah 53, and may I suggest this may have been on Paul's mind in Philippians, Therefore, at the very end of, of Isaiah 53, the last verse of Isaiah 53 says, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he, what? He poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Wow. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors. Now we don't make atonement for people, but we do make a difference by living this way. By living this way, you know, uh, one of the ways uh, I'm going to run out of time, so I'll just tell you, without pointing to these passages. But notice them when you're reading the Gospels. Notice every time Yeshua eats something. Every meal he has is significant. Every meal that we read about in the New Covenant is where he is relating to someone. And almost every time, you know, in Luke chapter 7, it's dinner at Simon's house. Simon the Pharisee. And who happens to show up but the woman with the alabaster flask of uh, oil, right? And, uh, and so on. And, and so what does Yeshua do? He gives a message to Simon. I have something to say to you. But he's eating with him. That, was, uh, that meant a lot. Uh, in at that time, you know, you were identifying with him. Zacchaeus, remember we talked about him uh, in Luke 15. Uh, Yeshua eats with tax gatherers and sinners, right? You read the same thing in Matthew 9 when he eats with Matthew. It says tax gatherers and sinners. Yeshua went to where the people were. Yeshua did not say there's going to be a meeting. Okay, show up at 7 o'clock, there'll be snacks afterwards. Well, maybe there'll be snacks afterwards, that's eating. But uh, it's not about coming to me. He came to them. He went to where the people were. Right? Paul talks about being poured out as a drink offering. We read about Yeshua's blood being poured out for the forgiveness of sins. To be poured out means to give yourself, all of yourself, I, you know, we demonstrate this I, in the way that we love, right? 
Uh, and, uh, and, and so how important it is uh, uh, for us uh, to pour ourselves out. We could think of illustration after illustration, uh, but the, the, the point is, is that when we live an intentional life, thinking that every, every time that I have an interaction with, with a person, it's somehow an intentional meeting from God. Even if it's just a hello, how are you, uh, no matter what it is. If we live our lives intentionally recognizing that we are, uh, you, you know, people who are identified in, in Yeshua, uh, we will make a, a difference. You know, uh, uh, John Piper wrote a book. It's, it's called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. It's a great little book. Right? He's writing to, like, uh, clergy people, right? Uh, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And so he talks about serving God, being God-centered, right? Uh, and uh, among other things, I'll just cut to the chase. He, he said this, Yeshua did not come seeking employees. Isn't that a great line? Yes. That's why, again, some people write books. Uh, Yeshua did not come seeking employees. That's, you know, in other words, okay, follow me, work for me. Okay, just do your best, work for me, here's what I want you to do, do it, right? No, he, he, he was our great role model, but this is what he says. Yeshua did not come seeking employees, he employed himself for our good. Okay, He poured himself into us. He lives in us. The life that we live is the Yeshua life, right? We've been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. That's how it is. The empowerment, when we are filled with the Ruach, when we are walking with God, when when uh, his word is embedded within us, when we are engaged in real in uh, uh, initiated prayer, when uh, we uh, see ourselves as engaged, we will demonstrate what real live. We will ahavat chesed. We will love a chesed. Right? Uh, and so as we come to the end of, of our seven weeks, uh, may the journey be the journey of our life. May the journey of the last seven weeks be the journey of our life. May we intentionally uh, be in the Word of God. May we intentionally uh, look at every opportunity as an opportunity to serve and demonstrate some form of selfless love. And may we be praying uh, for one another. You know, uh, one, uh, one little illustration, a simple illustration of, um, the sel of selfless love is this. Uh, you know, we talk about it. Remember different times when we've done, have different activities where we, you know, talk about passing it forward and those kinds of things. That's intentional. Uh, that is intentional love. But here's a good one. Let's say someone wants to come to the, we get a phone call. Somebody wants to come to our service and we want them to come to the service, but they don't have a ride, right? We think, who lives in their neighborhood? Okay, this is radical love. What if you don't live in their neighborhood? Would you be willing to drive an extra couple of miles out of the way to pick somebody up, even if they're not in your neighborhood? 
right? That's radical thinking right there, right? Uh, visiting someone, uh, going out of our way uh, to uh, show uh, a kindness whether, to people, whether we know them, uh, you know, or not. And the last thing I will just say is, you know, when it comes to this prayer of intentional prayer, there's one person in our congregation that I know of. There may be of others, but I know of one person in our congregation who, over the last seven weeks, uh, not only prayed for people, but let them know, isn't that right, Janice Stewart, right? What a great testimony. What a great example uh, for the, you know, this kind of prayer. It's so intentional that I'm, gonna, I'm going to let you know that I'm praying for you today. What an encouragement that is. And, and, and uh, you know, if you're like, I think if, if you're like us, you, got, you know, it was on a voicemail, so that means we can play it back, you, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and be encouraged. So thank you, uh, uh, Janice. I know, I know, I know, but I know I'm looking at you. I know it's the Lord, but I know I'm looking at you, okay? Uh, and uh, so what a, what a great uh, demonstration of that kind of intentionality. And so uh, in this day of brokenness all around us, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. You talk about an alternative way of life. Let us demonstrate what God means by an alternative way of life. May we love as Yeshua loved us. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, may we show, demonstrate that kind of love, whether it be within the community or outside of it. Lord, I pray that we would take the um, example of Yeshua, and no matter what people say, may we uh, engage with people that uh, may, be quite, may, may be questionable in uh, their reputation or who they are, but like Yeshua, eating with tax gatherers and sinners. How radical! How inappropriate! But Lord, may we serve you and not be looking for the uh, accolades of others or pats on the back or anything like that. But Lord... May we leave the comfortable place of the pew, perhaps, and go out there and indeed show that radical love. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.